Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora e te Ko John Tucker, puka ingoa. Uh, it's, I just love being part of the Windsor Park community. Uh, with my wife Lorraine and our three kids, we've been members of this church for about uh, 14, 15 years. I serve as an elder um, at Windsor, and I also serve as principal of Kerry Baptist College, which is the theological college of the Baptist churches of New Zealand. We serve churches like Windsor by training leaders for effective ministry and by equipping disciples for faithful witness. It's a real privilege to be opening the Word of God with you today, although I really wish that we'd be able to meet together face-to-face. This lockdown, the longest that we've had since the pandemic began, it's taking a real toll. It's it's been really hard for a number of people. Just this week I was reading in the paper that for many this lockdown has been the hardest of them all. It's placed real pressure both um, psychologically and financially, on a number of people. In fact, Auckland's Mayor, Phil Goff, said um, that there are a lot of people who are just on the edge at the moment, just on the cusp. Uh, This is a real crisis um, for many, many people. And with that in mind, I thought it would be good to open up a story with you from John's Gospel. Uh, I'd like to read to you from from John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. Well, have you ever been to a wedding feast where they ran out of wine? I have. Both the ceremony and the the banquet, the wedding feast afterwards, they both occurred at a little church in the Bay of Plenty. The ceremony itself was, was memorable enough. I was part of the bridal party, and the groom informed us men 
that at the end of the service, when the recessional song played, the entire bridal party would dance our way down the aisle. Nothing rehearsed, just spontaneous, exuberant dancing. Well, the problem was that the woman in the bridal party didn't get the memo. And the men in the bridal party, for their part, weren't very comfortable doing anything much more than a, a very modest shoulder waggle. So to rescue the situation, I thought I would bust out some moves and go big and bold and, 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 and really try and dance. Um, in the process, for some reason, I, I, I tried to pull out a dolphin dive. Now, I don't know how to dolphin dive. So imagine my poor partner in the bridal party with no idea what's going on, suddenly watching her partner begin to convulse and then, and then collapse on the ground in the aisle at her feet, crushing a floral display in the process. It was all horrendously embarrassing, but not as embarrassing as the wedding feast that followed. The groom had planned the entire dinner around uh, a pig on the spit. The only problem was that the youth pastor who had been assigned to cook, to roast the pig, had never cooked a pig on a spit before. So when, when the bridal party, when we all got back from our photo shoot, we arrived to discover one very frazzled youth pastor, one very uncooked pig, and, and a group of very hungry guests. In desperation, I remember the youth pastor started hacking slices of raw pork off this pig and sending it to the church, uh, the church kitchen to be, to be cooked in the oven. While this was happening, someone discovered that the supply of wine that had been delivered to the church for the purposes of the wedding banquet had gone missing. It had been misplaced. No one knew where it was. So while the volunteer caterers frantically rushed about trying to microwave raw pork and, and, and search for lost wine, the MC decided that to kill time, the guests at every table would, ha would, ha would have to put together, plan, and then perform a creative item to the rest of us. It was so embarrassing but really quite hilarious. And, and in the end, I look back on that wedding as one of the very best weddings I've ever been to. I wonder whether the disciples of Jesus would have said the same thing about this particular wedding here at Cana. Because the situation was more than embarrassing. In ancient Israel, weddings were much bigger events than they are today. A wedding was an event for the entire town. It brought the whole community together. And, they, and a wedding typically in those days ran for something like a whole week, if not more. And in an honor-shame culture like ancient Israel, it, it was a really big thing to provide hospitality. To run out of wine during the feast was more than a minor embarrassment. It would bring lasting disgrace on the bride and the groom and their entire families. They, they took hospitality much more seriously than we do today. And not only that, in the ancient Near East, there was an element of reciprocity around weddings. As a host, you could take legal action against guests if they didn't turn up with an appropriate gift for you. But equally, your guests could sue you as the host if you didn't provide sufficiently for them in terms of the wedding feast. So to run out of wine 
in a, in a situation like this was more than a minor, a minor embarrassment. It was a major crisis. This newly married couple are facing the very real prospect of social and financial ruin until Jesus intervenes. Discreetly, quietly, compassionately, Jesus intervenes on their behalf and he restocks the bar so the wine can keep flowing, the guests can keep drinking, and the party can continue. And John says, if you remember at the end of the story, that what Jesus did here at this wedding feast was the first of the signs by which he revealed his glory. Really? Have you ever wondered, if you've read the story before, how this miracle, this event here, might, might reveal Jesus' glory? What's going on here? And, and more to the point, what does it mean for us today? Well, to really understand what's happening in this story, we need to understand the, the significance of wine in Jewish thought. The ancient Jews had a saying, there is no rejoicing except with wine. Because for them, wine was the symbol of joy and celebration par excellence. It was the symbol of, of feasting and abundance and shalom, peace, wholeness. So when the, the Hebrew prophets, when they looked forward to a day when God would come and rescue his people from exile, this is how they described it. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I, God says, will bring my people Israel back from exile. So in other words, the time of salvation the Messianic age would be a time of abundance. It would be a time of feasting and drinking when, when new wine would drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now, against that backdrop, Jesus here in this story takes six jars that each hold up to 120 litres of water, six jars that are each the size of a city council wheelie bin, Six jars that collectively hold over 700 litres of water and he turns it to the finest of wine. In today's terms, Jesus produces out of that water nearly a thousand bottles of the finest Pinot Noir. Now think about it, by doing this, by miraculously manufacturing far more wine than all of the guests at this party could possibly hope to drink, Jesus is in essence saying, Israel, what you have been waiting for, what you have been hoping for, what you have been longing for all these years, it's here. The day of salvation has come. It's now. But this salvation, this deliverance is not just for Israel. Look at how John introduces the story. Did you, did you notice that? Verse 1, he says, On the third day, a wedding took place. This wedding took place on the third day. What's, Jesus, what's John referring to there? Well, he could be referring to Easter, Jesus' resurrection on the third day. 
But it's not very likely because nowhere else does John ever use that phrase, the third day, to refer to the Easter event. Much more likely, John is simply saying that this miracle, this, this, this transformation of water into wine at this wedding in Cana happened on the third day after the events that happened in the previous chapter. John is, is linking this story with the previous chapter. And that's interesting. Because if you've read chapter 1 of John's Gospel, he frames that entire chapter very much as an echo of Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the Bible, the creation story. Let me, let me give you some examples. John chapter 1 starts with the words, in the beginning. How does Genesis 1 start? In the beginning. John 1 speaks of Jesus as the divine word who pierces the darkness. How does the creation story get expressed in Genesis chapter 1? God speaks his word into the darkness and creation springs to life. John 1 describes the spirit descending on Jesus at his baptism. Just like Genesis 1 describes the spirit hovering like a dove over the primordial waters at the beginning of creation. John 1 divides the first week of Jesus' ministry into seven days. Just like Genesis 1 describes the creation account, the, the beginning of the world in seven days. And, and these seven days in John 1, they, they find their climax in this event, this miracle at this wedding in Cana. So through this miracle, Jesus is revealing himself to be the creator, God himself, the author of creation, in fact, the author of a new creation. St. Irenaeus, the church father, once said that the glory of God is a human being made, made whole. And, and I think he was right. But he didn't go far enough. The glory of God is the whole of creation made whole. What, what Jesus is expressing through this miracle in this story, this wedding at Cana, he's saying, I am the creator and I have entered my creation as I promised I would through the, the Hebrew prophets and I'm here now to make all things whole, to bring abundance, to bring renewal, to bring completion, Perfection, shalom, peace. And what he did then, he can do now. What Jesus did in Cana, he can do in Castor Bay. He, he can do in, in Claudelands. He can do in, in Carterton. He can do in Cromwell. What Jesus did then in Galilee, he can do in Glenfield. He can do in Glenview. He can do the same thing today in Gisborne, in Greymouth. Jesus, the creator, has entered our world and is at work today. He can take an empty jar and fill it with new wine. He can take a, an empty selfish heart and fill it with new love. He can take a tortured mind and fill it with new peace. He can take a stagnant marriage and fill it with new joy. He can take a congested calendar and fill it somehow with new space. He can take a dysfunctional family and fill it with new grace. 
He can take a lifeless church and fill it with new vigour. He can take an unjust economy and fill it with new righteousness. He can take a racist education system and fill it with new truth. And he's doing all of these things right now. He is, he is renewing people and places right under our noses. Like the guests here in this story in Cana, this, this wedding feast, often we don't even recognize it. The miraculous in our midst. Jesus at work, the creator, renewing his creation under our very noses. A few months back, I was struck by the testimony of Tine, the, the young Pacifica woman who shared his story at our church. I mean, she was married at 18. And ever since her wedding, she has experienced one crisis after another. Her second child was born with multicystic dysplastic kidneys, which means that her, her baby girl is particularly prone to illness. Last year, during the lockdowns of, of 2020, she was admitted to hospital every month of the year. She, she nearly died, that little girl. While that was happening, Tine's mother fell very, very sick with a, with a serious heart condition. Tine's uncle was caught up in the South Auckland COVID cluster, and, and he himself ended up in hospital very, very sick. Tine herself was struggling through all of this with mental health issues relating to a, a traumatic incident that she experienced this as a youngster. And one morning early this year, she woke up feeling very, very sick. She experienced serious abdominal pain and, and, and she had a terrible rash covering her entire body. The doctors had no idea what was going on. As try as they might, they simply could not diagnose her condition. The cup was empty. The, the wine was gone. And so, you know, with her, with her health broken, her marriage crumbling, Tine contacted the, the lovely young nurse who was working with her child, a, a Christian lady. And she referred Tine to a PI mental health service. And Tine also reached out to her, her Christian family, her, her church family, and they started praying for her. Well, over the next six months, for the first half of, of this year, she experienced a remarkable, miraculous transformation. Jesus can make all things new. So what does all this mean for us today, here, now? I mean, are we like guests at a wedding? You know how in, with weddings today, for the most part, after the ceremony, the bridal party will, will shoot off and, and they'll do, a, they'll do a photo shoot while the rest of us guests just kind of mill around, killing time until the reception. Are we like guests at a wedding? Do we just have to mill around passively sitting on our hands, waiting for Jesus to act? Well, on, on the one hand, yes. We have no choice but to wait, like Mary in the story. But on the other hand, we, we, don't, we don't wait passively. We've actually got a role to play. And, and this is our role, I think, communicated through this narrative. Invite Jesus to the party. Invite Jesus to the party. Did you notice that John emphasizes the fact that Jesus has been invited to this wedding? Verse 2. Someone once said that, that of, of Jesus that he goes wherever he's invited. 
He goes wherever he's invited. Jesus seems to find an invitation irresistible. And it's when we invite Jesus in that we we have a chance of experiencing his creative and renewing power. Let me ask you, are you struggling with a compulsive, addictive, shameful pattern of behavior? Invite Jesus in. Invite him in again. Is your family or maybe, maybe your business facing a very real crisis because of this pandemic? Invite Jesus in. Is your church family fractured by by wounds or or misunderstandings? Invite Jesus in. Are you concerned about what's happening with with this diabolical housing crisis? Invite Jesus in. Are you concerned about what's happening in Afghanistan at the moment? Invite Jesus in. He goes wherever he's invited. And with a word, he can bring renewal. He can bring transformation. Invite him to the party. That's the first invitation, I think, or implication of the story. But secondly, do whatever he tells you. In this story, Jesus' mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. The transformation starts, if if you notice, when the servants take those words seriously. Jesus says to them, fill those jars with water. They could have debated with Jesus and said, why? We need more wine, not more water. And we need it fast. I mean, we're run out. We're going to be exposed any moment. Do you know how long it would take to, to get enough water out of the well outside the house and fill up those jars? But... They do what Jesus tells them to do. It's tiring work getting all that water, I suspect, out of of the well and filling up all of those jars. It's repetitive work. It's seemingly irrelevant and, and meaningless work, but they do it. They obey Jesus. And through their apparently insignificant acts of obedience, Jesus performs this miracle. Invite him to the party and then do whatever he tells you. You think about it one day at the very end of time in in the great heavenly wedding banquet that, that we all can one day enjoy through faith in Jesus. Everything will then be made new. There will be no more pain, no more shame, no more suffering, no more emptiness. No more separation. All things will be made new. But until then, our compassionate, gracious, faithful, heavenly bridegroom is at work in this world, making things new, bringing transformation. And he's doing it through us. He wants to do it through us. He wants to do it through you. So invite him to the party and do whatever he tells you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you, the creator, the maker of the universe, would come into our world to make all things new. 
We're so grateful that with a word, you can bring renewal. You can bring transformation. You can fill up what we lack. Would you do that now? We name before you our needs. We name before you the needs of those around us. The needs of our country. The needs of our world. Supply what we need. And would you give us the grace to trust you? Give us the grace to hear what you're telling us to do. And give us the courage to do it. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.